Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 77 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Janine Sickmeyer about what it takes to solve your own problems by building a software solution. Today's podcast is sponsored by Abacus Private Cloud. Future-proof your firm by going virtual. Learn more at abacusprivatecloud.com slash lawyerist. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Zero Beautiful Legal Accounting, Simplified. Find out more at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O dot com. If you enjoy the show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast to help us keep new episodes coming every week. So I feel obligated to mention the new uh, Nintendo app, Pokemon Go, because (laughs) it is the most uh, talked about thing on the planet other than maybe police protests at the Uh, yeah, it's kind of a distraction from that. Maybe a welcome one. Um, I, I saw the other day that by the time this podcast airs, Pokemon Go should have more users than Twitter. Yes. Which is astonishing. In four days. Uh, my girls and I have been enjoying it all weekend. Um, it's super fun to go out and hunt for wild Pokemon. Uh, and it gives them something to do in the back of the car. If I drive slow enough, they can tap on Pokemon while we go past and then throw the ball at them. So at the rate that this game is growing, by the time this podcast airs, I assume that every human being on earth (laughs) will be playing because that's just the extrapolation of the current exponential growth curve. I think that seems right. Uh, If that's not the case, it might be worth stepping back and explaining what the fuck we're talking about. (laughs) So Pokemon Go is the, is it's an app. It's a mobile app for iOS and Android. And um, it is based on the show Pokemon, which has been a hit since my little brother, who's about 10 years younger than me, was a kid. Uh, And the, the whole premise of the thing is you have to catch them all. Gotta catch them all. And there are hundreds of Pokemon, and then you uh, you get to do battle with them. So they're these cute little cute furry creatures, often furry creatures that have silly names. Um, and then you get to fight each other with them, but nobody really gets hurt. And so this game basically is a it's an uh, uh, augmented reality game. So in order to go and find a Pokemon, you actually have to get up and walk and find them around your neighborhood, around the mall, around you know downtown, whatever. To be clear, again, for people who somehow aren't familiar with this by the time this podcast airs, the fact that this has something to do with little cartoon Pokemons is not why it's so popular, although it's a perfect starting point because that was already a very popular brand. Yeah. The reason this is taking off is because it is the first game that has actually really innovated using augmented reality. Not true. Okay, the, the company that developed it has a previous version. This is the first one to take off using this model. Yeah, I mean, Ingress uh, was a game built by Google, I think, actually. And the, the creator of Ingress uh, went over and, and is working for Niantic, which is the company that brought out Pokemon Go. And so it's, it's actually a, a almost identical game. I, so I, I would argue that the popularity of Pokemon Go is because of Pokemon has such a huge following. But, um, so I would, I'm happy to concede that that's why it became a hit. Yeah. I don't care about Pokemon, but <laughs> I have downloaded the app and want to try it because I think it's 
finally an interesting test of where augmented reality is almost certain to go, which oh, is yeah. so, which is to explain. So this app, um, basically a map of the actual world, and then overlays that with this cartoon video game. You open the app, and it has an actual overlay of your real neighborhood, your real house, the parks and schools by your house, and then you use the app to go find video game treasures and enemies and adventures in the real world, and it is based on features in the real world that are popular. So if you go to a park, there will be lots of things to do. If you go to a school, there will be lots of things to do. Your house probably won't because it isn't a popular place in the world. And so that's what's interesting about it. Basically, they took probably mapping data from Google Maps and every point of interest gets to be either a Pokestop or a Pokemon gym or something like that. So like the Turtle Bread Company is a popular coffee shop near my house and um, and that's a Pokemon training gym, for example. So if you see a lot of people walking around staring at their phones, they're probably playing Pokemon Go. And this is coming up on police scanners now. It's um, There's a guy who lives in an old church that people keep stopping by his house <laughs> because it's a training gym. There, there was a guy who decided to stop and catch a Pokemon in the middle of the highway and caused like a 50 car pileup, which is not the game's fault, but it, the idiot's fault. Um, so it, it's, it's actually a legitimate thing right now. You're going to see a lot of people out walking around staring at their phones. And so much so that if you search for Pokemon and sore legs right now, uh, you'll find tons and tons of tweets and Facebook status updates because lots of kids who don't normally go outside all that much have been walking miles in the last few days. One thing I think is so funny is that this is not in any way limited to kids. There are all sorts of silly news stories this past week. Again, the game's only been out for five days of 40-year-old men at two in the morning going out to the neighborhood (laughs) to go play this game, running into other 40-year-old men, and then having the police called because there are all these (laughs) menacing men loitering around the park at two in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, no, and and I get it. It's legitimately fun to go and collect and and the whole the whole like you are the game controller you have to walk around to make things happen is is very novel and cool and fun and so now of course there's all sorts of chatter in the legal blogosphere social media scape whatever the buzzword is of um how are people going to relate this to small firm practice <laughs> and nobody should but here, Somebody will. here on our Law Practice Podcast, we are discussing Pokemon Go for seven straight minutes. Yeah. I mean, there are all kinds of boring uh, legal implications that sound interesting because it involves augmented reality. But trespassing and causing traffic accidents and setting people up for crime are really nothing new. <laughs> so let's skip it. And <laughs> let's go right to my conversation with Janine. I'm Janine Sickmeyer, CEO and founder of Next Chapter. Next Chapter is a web application for attorneys to prepare, manage, and file their bankruptcy cases online. And prior to this, I was a paralegal in the bankruptcy field on the consumer side for several years. Hi, Janine. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. And um, I, I want to ask you about your background, but I, I kind of wanted to tell our listeners how I m- met you, which was, I think it was at ABA Tech Show, maybe. Um, and I was currently trying to volunteer for my local volunteers network uh, chapter, and I had decided I was going to do bankruptcy. And I was so frustrated because um, there was no easy way for me to get bankruptcy software 
to do this pro bono work. And I was like, if only there were a cloud-based bankruptcy software. And then I met you mm -hmm. and there you were yeah. and you had cloud-based bankruptcy software and it was wonderful. Um, and so I've, we've been kind of, Aaron and I have been kind of following your development of Next Chapter with interest ever since. Um, but so tell us how you came to it. I think you were a paralegal at a bankruptcy firm, right? Yep. So I started my legal career about 10 years ago, and I was a paralegal in a foreclosure firm. And I quickly realized I wanted to be on the debtor side of things. So I started working at a local bankruptcy firm here in Columbus, Ohio, and we were doing around 30 bankruptcies a month. I was doing all the paperwork, meeting with the clients, getting you know all the documents, and the, the process was just extremely messy and time-consuming. And there wasn't anything online. So I was using a lot of our competitor software and I just saw a need to build something new and, and better and online. Um, so I started taking notes of everything I wanted to see in a web-based application. And I tried to actually reach out to all those vendors and ask them for, you know, this feature or that bug fix. And I would sit on the line for several hours waiting <laughs> for someone and they would basically say, well, this is what we have and we're not really changing it. Um, so I started to get the itch to, to build something better. It's been my impression that uh, bankruptcy is um, perhaps more than most other areas of law practice really kind of um, beholden to the software, right? I mean, you, you plug everything yeah. in, you rely on the software to tell you what exemptions there are, and you even click file and, and it does most of the filing for you. Yes, exactly. And, it, you know, all of that works pretty well until, until there's like a little, you know, a little bug in the system and then all of a sudden everything crashes and you lose all your data. And this mm -hmm. happened a lot. <laughs> this happened more times than, um, you know, than we wanted at the law firm. So, and of course, um, that's all on you to do the backup at that point. Oh yeah, trying to figure it out, and yeah. you know, I, I had no idea about um, software building and um, security or anything like that when I, you know, when I was a paralegal. So, I really learned everything after um, after I kind of pushed myself into um, building. So did, when you decided to start up software, and, and we're talking about this because I, lots of lawyers, um, you know, once you start, lots of people, once you know a problem intimately, you start thinking, hey, maybe there's a better way. And then you come up with a solution and you're like, hey, maybe other people would benefit from this too. And I think that's how, that's how inventions happen. But uh, it's also how mm -hmm. a lot of software gets built. But so how did you go from thinking, God, this is frustrating to, okay, I'm going to build one. And here I am go off and doing it. Yeah. So I, I was actually at that point, um, you know, when I wanted to start building it, I actually didn't, I did, I, I still used all the other software and I was, I was working. Um, I started to create workarounds myself. Mm -hmm. I, you know, used spreadsheets and Salesforce and tried to hack things together and just make the bankruptcy process easier for me. And I realized I could prepare a lot more doing this little hacked system that I came up with um, on my own with no distractions, you know, not in the law firm. So I, I went out on my own at that point and just created a virtual paralegal firm. So I was doing work. It was called Paralegal Team, and I was preparing bankruptcies for attorneys all over the U.S. I would find attorneys who were looking for paralegals on Craigslist, actually, and reach out to them and say, did you ever think about using a virtual paralegal? I can prepare this stuff for you. You don't need someone in-house. You know, I can do this and send it over. I'll reach out to your debtor on your behalf and mm. 
and and just prepare this. And that worked. It was going really well. I was doing that. I had my own system. I was working from home. You know, that was everything I wanted at the time. And I kept doing this for um, a couple years. And then I had this attorney in New Hampshire who who said, okay, I love what you're doing and I'm going to get rid of my whole bankruptcy department and I want paralegal team to do all my work <laughs> because it's easier for me. Which is kind of a terrifying to thing you. to hear. <laughs> well, yeah, because paralegal team was me. I didn't have a team at the time. It was just me. So I was like, oh, um, okay, yeah, let me uh, figure this out and get back to you. <laughs> you know, and, and so I raced over my... Um, to a friend of mine, he's an investor, and I was like, what am I supposed to do? I can't hire a bunch of paralegals to, you know, work on my system that I hacked together. Nobody's going to understand it. Um, and I was like, I, I really think I need to get to the root of the problem here and just learn how to code, build a better software. And he was like, oh, well, I like that idea. <laughs> you know, he's like, <laughs> paralegal team can't scale but I like this idea of, of software that, you know, can scale. Right, because uh, because it's based in the cloud. If, if, you, if you take the bankruptcy software and put it in the cloud, it would make it easy to outsource your paralegal work, among other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, and, and, and I always thought from the beginning that this, you know, what Next Chapter is now would just be the the tool that I would use to grow my paralegal team. Hmm. You know, I wanted to grow this virtual paralegal business. Um, and that's where I was like, oh, well, I'll use, you know, the what I make from paralegal team to build this application and then grow a paralegal team. And that was the whole goal. Hmm. Not thinking that, you know, next chapter would turn into what it is. So it was, um, so that's where, you know, that's where I really started thinking I've, I've got to do this. And so, you know, developing the application to improve this process isn't just identifying the problem. It was all executing. I was all like, okay, now I'm ready to go. And, you know, I think finding your own little workarounds and trying to come up with a way to um, to build something better is, is great. It's almost like prototyping. Yeah. And, you know... Un- I mean, unfortunately, we we never, as Next Chapter, we didn't have an MVP since bankruptcy. So, um, you know, just with the law and everything, we needed to make sure that that everything was right, right. putting putting this into the court. So, but yeah, that I guess that was kind of my prototype. You just used the MVP, and I just wanted to translate that for our listeners: a minimum viable product. The idea being that often there's a minimum version of the software that you can release that is okay, and then you start building on it. Most practice management software is like that. Like, they don't launch with apps. But you're right. Next Chapter kind of had to be able to do most of what it promised, to, to most of what bankruptcy software is expected to do, or it wouldn't work. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're, you know, we're putting this... We're risking everything, I guess, for our yeah. um, clients, you know, well, so, clients. So. so tell me, when when you get started, you said you wanted to learn to code. Did you, did you actually start coding it or did you um, put a team together to do that? I actually started coding. So I was like, I'm going to do this. I, w- I had, you know, the idea that I would build this thing all on my own and that it wouldn't take that long, a couple months maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was like, okay, 30 days. 10 hours a day, I'm going to teach myself and this will be my full-time thing, just learning how to code. And I did that 
Um, and it was awesome. I loved it. I love being able to see the changes that you're making immediately. It's just this instant gratification. And, and I did it using Treehouse, um, which is a, an app online that you can, you know, kind of like um, Code Academy. But they have mm-hmm. a lot of fun videos. And the, you, you start to feel like these... Um, these programmers that you're working with on there are like celebrities, you know, (laughs) Oh, those guys know everything. So it was, it was great to work with them and build next chapter just on my own. But I, I mean, I really only got as far as understanding it and Mm -hmm. I, I built a basic Ruby app. Um, and then from there I really had to uh, start reaching out to developers. And did you do that? Did you outsource like hire a Indian team to do it or a, or a team from the Philippines or did you find an actual lead developer? Well, I, I worked with the lead developer here in Columbus and I basically had to pitch my whole idea to a couple different developers who um, I met at local coffee shops around town. They were all building things and I just, you know, pitch next chapter and one guy who is a, a great Ruby developer came um, to me and said, I would, I would love to work on this with you. So he was building a, a medical app at the time um, used in hospitals for patient privacy. So I thought it really kind of worked together. You know, he understood everything about um, security and building web applications. And um, so he and I worked on Next Chapter for the for the next year together. Oh, cool. Um, and but it took you a while to finish it, right? So like what what got in the way of just like plowing through and developing the product and getting it out there? Well, yeah, so it took it took about three years from sketch to launch, um, which isn't that uncommon for a self-funded app like this, but it, it I had a couple different roadblocks. One was actually the, the court. Uh, they ended up changing the forms. And when I first started Next Chapter, you know, I was like, okay, I know that the bankruptcy forms are changing in 2016. No mm-hmm. big deal. That's like forever down the road. I don't have to worry about it. And then it just came up so quickly. And, you know, we're like, oh, my gosh, every form has to change now. So that kind of set me back because we had to go back in and, you know, reconfigure the whole entire way we were adding information into the PDFs. That was a big step um, once we got through that and really working with the courts individually um, just took a long time, you know, to get their testing environment set up. So that was going to be one of my questions. I, I, do, they, do they make it easy for develop like the bankruptcy courts in this case, do they make it easy for developers to work with them? Or um, is it a crazy arcane um, system that doesn't make sense or a little bit of both? Oh, yeah. It's not easy <laughs> to work with them. <laughs> um, no, which it never is working with, you know, Pacer. Um it was uh, so okay. We have to reach out to each individual court, and we had to come up with um, requesting all of the information in a specific way, and then they send us the the way that we need to kind of send our data over to them um, to connect. And mm-hmm. it it was definitely a process. This took a long time. I'd say six to eight months to just set up that integration. Um, you know, the, just the courts, but mm-hmm. then we had to go into each individual court, um, when it came to the, the ECF integration, connecting, um, 
so that you can do e-filing from next chapter to ACF. So it's, it, yeah, it's time consuming. You know, every court has little things that are different and we have to, some courts don't even offer the automatic upload, which you know, we thought, oh, they offer all of them. All courts will allow this, but but that's certainly not the case. So it's been very hard to work with them. Um, mainly, I mean, the people there are great. You know, we have great contacts at every court, and everyone's always very helpful. But when it comes to making sure that next chapter in the court is synced properly, we have run so much testing, and occasionally, you know, there's still something that comes up. Well, let me take two minutes from our sponsors, and when we come back, I want to talk just a little bit more about that. Um, and then I want to talk about, uh, you know, what advice you might have for other lawyers who see a problem and, and want to solve it. Um, and then I'd like to continue a little bit on a discussion we had recently on the podcast about how do you convince lawyers to essentially bet their practice, at least in the short term, on brand new software. Did you know that law firms are the seventh highest target for cyber criminals? Breaches in security could cost you your clients, your reputation, and ultimately your firm. Protect your firm from cyber attacks with Abacus Private Cloud, the compliance-ready, fully managed desktop-as-a-service, engineered to safeguard your firm against cyber threats. Abacus Private Cloud is brought to you by Abacus Data Systems, a leading provider of business technology products and solutions, including Abacus Law, simplifying your practice management since 1983. Learn more at abacusprivatecloud.com slash lawyerist. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant, tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Zero. Get a free trial at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Beautiful accounting software. And we're back. And so uh, a minute ago, Janine, you said, two minutes ago to be precise, uh, you said that um, keeping up with the courts was a big part of what you do, which is sort of a recurring theme, as listeners know, from talking with software companies. Um, you know, Fastcase spends a ton of resources keeping up with the courts and updating and making sure that they are getting new cases and all that kind of stuff. And um, that sounds like kind of a theme whenever you're building software that has anything to do with the courts. Um, so how do you keep up with that? Well, keeping up with the information has been, right now, um, we we have our our contacts at the courts and a lot of times they're reaching out to us when new exemptions are being released or, you know, there's any updates we should know about. So one good thing is, you know, when you're on the software vendor list, all of the courts are going to update you. Hmm. Um, but we also have, uh, we have a data research assistant who will go in and, you know, basically scan all of the, the court's updated um, information and plug it all into Next Chapter's backend. So gotcha. um, we're always keeping up to date. And a lot of times, though, the court's going to send us information way in advance. So that's really helpful. And what if the forms changed again? Is that same deal? Like you'd find out well in advance and just start working on it? Or is your system built to make it easier to change that? Originally, with Next Chapter, when we first started, we you know, we were like, we're going to build this in a totally different way than the other bankruptcy applications because um, it's, it's going to be more 
linear, you know. So next chapter is you go through it in more of a the workflow and the way that the way that you would enter the data and not the way that the forms are requesting mm. that information. So you might only, you know, enter something in once and we'll fill it out in in the forms the six, seven, eight times that it's asked. So that's something that if the forms end up changing, you know, that doesn't matter. Um to us at all because we've we've created next chapter to work with the bankruptcy flow instead of the way that the forms look. That really did end up helping us when the forms changed, but there's still a ton of work that needs to happen, you know. <laughs> so PDFs are not great with developers. So. Yeah. Well maybe that leads into my next question, which is about, you know, so so you, you launched next chapter um last year, right? About April, yeah. And so, so you launched this brand new software. Um, it's it's sort of you've yeah you've had beta testers, but it's kind of unproven as far as the general market goes. It's like how do you convince bankruptcy lawyers to 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 use it to to say this is the soft you know to switch from um, best case or um, uh, whatever whatever bankruptcy pro or whatever they might be using. Um, how do you convince me? Yep, I'm going to be here. I'm going to stick around. Uh, you can trust me. You can rely on this, and you can base your practice on this. How do you do that? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of a lot of the attorneys that have signed up and are using Next Chapter are excited about something new. You know, they're looking for something that's going to connect with um, all the other services that they use. And we're working on a Clio integration, so that could be an example. Um, you know, they want to work with Clio. They want their bankruptcy to, program to also work with Clio, and those type of. Um, integrations. But to convince someone who who is using, you know, who has been using another bankruptcy program for several years, um, it's it's definitely uh, a sales pitch. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, we're getting on, doing demos, walking them through the application and explaining that we're not uh, a best case competitor in our eyes. You know, we're... Um, we're, we're different. We offer a lot of different things than, um, than what they're used to. And some of them, they find that refreshing. Some of them are wondering, you know, it's terrifying. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you mean? You're not best case. That's what I want, but I just don't want to, you know, I want it in the cloud. Yeah. But one thing that I did find when it comes to when you're, when you're looking at an application, some of these other programs have these proprietary files. And so if they shut down, you know, how are you going to open those files and save your data in any other way if if those bankruptcy programs aren't around anymore? And we make it very easy for you to extract your data. And, you know, we're never going to hold client data hostage where, you know, you can always take this information with you um, in something that's very readable, like a CSV file. So, you know, there's, there's there's nothing scary about using um, software if if it's you know new software if it's done right if it's been you know if security and has been thought out from the beginning yeah. and it's very transparent and you know who you're working with I think um, I think that's you know something that people are getting excited about. Well, you know that's uh, I guess that's always been one of my. Um my pl- planks that I put in my legal software bill of rights is you ought to be able to get your data out. And if you can, then it shouldn't mm-hmm. matter if the company tanks because you can get it out and go put it in something else. So that's, that's cool. That yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it doesn't mean it won't be any work, but it should alleviate a lot of the fears. So mm-hmm. 
Of course. Okay, so let's say I'm a lawyer, and and we we talked with Sam Harden about this recently on on his decision to um, to build sort of a big data project. Um, but in, in a lot, that was not nearly as complex a piece of software as and coding as what you've done. So so let's say I'm a lawyer with my own practice, and I'm like, I here's a I don't understand why we all do things this way. Um, I think I can fix this. I think I can build a piece of software, and everybody's going to think it's the greatest thing in the world once I'm done with it. Where do where do you go from there? Like if you're an entrepreneurial lawyer mm-hmm. who is just chomping at the bit to fix something, where how do you do that? What would you tell people? Well, I think. I think first, any anyone who's interested in developing an app is, you know, first they see the problem. And um, spending a lot of time in any of those competing tools, um, knowing knowing what the problems and pain points are is definitely a great first step. Um, developing your own system, even if it's just something kind of hacked together with spreadsheets, you know, is, is good to know, like, where you're going, what you know, what you, what you want to see. And I literally sketched everything out. So I was using tools um, online to sketch out what I wanted it to look like and how I wanted it to act. And I came prepared to developers. I had, you know, I had a lot already thought out and I thought it was everything. Of course, you know, <laughs> years later we found it wasn't, but, um, but sharing that with, with people who, know how to build applications like this would be extremely helpful. And they'd be impressed too to see that, you know, you, you worked out um, all of the, if this, then that. You know, I've, I've been reading a book about um, user experience design um, and paper prototyping is huge. And it sounds like that's basically what you did. You prototyped mm-hmm. it to bring it to your developers, um, which I think is really important. You, you should, you should know what it's going to be before you dig it and start building it. And mm-hmm. um, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that probably that process of walking through it for some people is going to reveal maybe your idea isn't as great as you thought it was, or maybe yeah. it needs work and you need to streamline it, uh, change it, whatever. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also a lot of ways to um, find that that product market fit. You know, online you can you can build very very minimal um, products and start reaching out to people who you think would be interested in it and just asking them, you know, take a look at this. Would you use it? What do you love about it? What do you not love about it? And really gauge their interest because I think that a lot of times um, entrepreneurs are, you know, building what they want to see and then they ask, you know, their five best friends and, and everyone's like, that's awesome. But, um, you know, once you really get it out there and start getting feedback from people, that's when you're going to discover a lot. So I, I was getting emails constantly while I was building, I built a website and I was getting, you know, just to gauge user feedback and traction. And it was a very simple website that I, I put together and, got um, signups and early access signups and people would just send all these emails. This is exactly what I want to see. Oh my gosh, I can't believe someone's doing this. Finally, you know, I've been waiting for this. And so I put together all of those emails. I had, you know, a couple hundred and just started going through them and putting them all on a product management board once we got rolling. And I'm like, okay, we have this many features from you know, we have this many people that want this feature. So that's going to be at the top of the list and just start prioritizing. Oh, sure. It was a great way to actually, 
you know, get our feedback as we were building it too. So instead of just like hiding your idea until you have it completely ready, I mean, I think putting it out there and getting feedback as you go is is really important too. Well, and it's nice to know that you've got a couple hundred or a few hundred or even if you just a few dozen people um, who are chomping at the bit to sign up uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and prove the oh, concept yeah. for you. Absolutely. Um, so when, it, when I start opened up this podcast with sort of how I, uh, when we met and why I was so excited to see what you were doing, because um, my theory was that it would be a heck of a lot easier to um, to work on pro bono bankruptcy if there was software in the cloud. And, and I should say Bankruptcy Pro comped me a copy of their software, but I had to go and, inst- you know, use Windows to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I was using something else at the time. Um, I had to go through the whole install, configure, local process. Um, and then I got a license for one bankruptcy. And then I had to uninstall it when I was done. And mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was, they, they made it as good as they could, but it was pretty clunky. Um, so it was my theory that this would make it easier for, um, for volunteer lawyers to do bankruptcies. And so I'm curious, um, has that actually happened? Do you have volunteer lawyer networks and or volunteer lawyers who um, have reached out to you and asked for, um, asked for access? In, and is that happening in a sort of meaningful way? Oh, yes. So this is um, one of my favorite things about Next Chapter right now because I, I thought the same thing. I thought that, um, you know, attorneys could use Next Chapter for free if they were doing pro bono work. And that mm-hmm. from the very beginning, I wanted to implement this um, idea that Salesforce uses, and um, it's called the 111 model. They give 1% of their equity, 1% of their time, and 1% of their product to an underserved market. Um, for us, that was so easy for me to figure out. I'm like, we can pledge our 1% um, by giving our product to f- for free to attorneys doing pro bono cases. So mm-hmm. we've had a, we've had a lot of positive feedback from attorneys so far. Um, we do have a lot of attorneys using this um, for free for their their cases. And even this summer, we've been working with a, a student out of Harvard um, on his project to help low-income New Yorkers file bankruptcy without paying, you know, enorm- enormous amounts of fees and um, attorney's fees. So he built a website. Um, it's called freebkhelp.org. And it's essentially a client intake, like an easy intake for pro se debtors to um, fill out their information. And then they're using next chapter to file those bankruptcies. So we're kind of working together right now like that, but but really we're hoping to make a consumer facing portal where um debtors can fill out as much information as possible without an attorney. Oh, and then wow. we would match them with the next chapter attorney in their area who'd be willing to, you know, do the review, give legal advice, um, attend the hearing, and hopefully at a lower cost because most of yeah. the paperwork's already been done. You know? So oh, that's so cool. I didn't even yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you're way ahead. That's awesome. Yeah, it's you know it would take a lot of work still, but we're we're working with other people and talking about that right now. So I just feel like plugging an attorney in halfway through the process, you know, might bridge that gap between pro se and and expensive. <laughs> so no, that makes a lot of sense because that's the point at which people start getting overwhelmed by the process anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Janine, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about your process and how you did it. And if people are interested, um, nextchapterbk.com is the website. Um, it's really good looking bankruptcy software. It's cloud-based. Um, 
I'm I, I don't I've never I don't use it because I don't do bankruptcies um, even pro bono anymore. But um, it's really cool, um, and it's it's a, a piece of software that needed to exist, and I'm so glad you built it. Um, and I hope that our listeners will check it out. So thank you, Janine. Great. Thanks so much, Sam. Thanks for having me. make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. Subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>